ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to American Arsenology. Brought to you by the curse of Jamal Khashoggi. I'll see you at St. James's Park, motherfuckers. I'm your host, Bind, Torture, and Kill. And now, tonight's top stories. Welcome back, me gooners and me goonerettes. Arsenal have drawn 2-2 with Crystal Palace in a London derby that featured the captain's class. Let's get right into it. The opening storyboard of this one featured manager Mikel Arteta welcoming a true legend of the gun to the Emirates. Yes, it was a return for Patrick Vieira, a member of the Invincibles and, here at American Arsenology, one of our favorite to ever don the badge. It was a match filled with intrigue, storylines, and... An alarming conclusion. Let's dive a little deeper. With Arsenal returning from the international break after the 0-0 draw at the Amex Stadium, Arteta chose a 4-3-3 slash 4-1-2-3 lineup that was predicted here at American Arsenology prior to the match. Review the last podcast or go to the bloggy blogs. We envisioned Arteta playing a 4-3-3, and he did. Let me say this, folks. I will give you the lineup. Aaron Ramsdale, Gabriel, Benny Blanco, Tommy Tomoyasu, Kiran Tierney, Thomas Partey, and Martin Udegaard, Nico Pepe, Emil Smith-Rowe, Bukayo Saka, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. It was a bit of a predictable lineup. There was no chance that Mikel Arteta would leave Pepe out of this one. He could not do so. He has been reviewing the numbers. Can we crunch the numbers one more time? Hold on, hold on. Ty, I would like you to crunch those numbers again. It's programmed. There's no such thing. Just crunch them. Just crunch them, please. Look, folks, as we have discussed ad nauseum, Arsenal have struggled to score goals in the Premier League. So there was little doubt that Nico Pepe would be included on the day. However, in devising this particular scheme, Arteta made a very odd decision. He chose to play Emil Smith-Rowe on the right-hand side of the pitch, the interior channel on the right, which was to the left of Nico Pepe. And as for Martin Udegaard, he occupied the interior channel on the left, adjacent to Bukayo Saka. Why Arteta made the decision to switch the roles, a flip-flop, a parent trap. You're not Annie. That would be correct. Udegaard coming in from the left and ESR the Smith out on the right. Why he went with this strange move, I do not know. And it can be said, it did not come off. 
But it was just in the eighth minute of the match when Arsenal looked to be on a roll and things were going swimmingly. The Gunners won a corner. It was a poorly taken set piece that bypassed both the intended targets of Tommy Ashu and Gabriel who were positioned on the corner of the six. But it was the Ivorian, Nico Fefe, who did well to track down the wayward corner. The Ivorian was allowed to turn and face up and played a neat little one-two with Takahiro Hattori Hanzo Tomiyasu. Pepe did his trademark shift, shift, shifted to the left and curl an effort into the far post. It was a brilliant strike that forced Crystal Palace's keeper into a fine save. But there, on the doorstep, to pick up the sniffer, was one club captain, Pierre-Americ Aubameyang, who slotted home with his left peg. It was a poacher's finish and a good goal, with the genesis of it all being derived and created by Juan Nico Pepe. The amount of criticism that Pepe has come under for this performance against Palace blows my mind. I do not understand it. If you know football, you too will not understand it. We will talk more about Pepe as we push on. But in the 12th minute of play, it was Palace who looked more lively. As Benny Blanco would drop off, drop off, drop off, drop off. A worrying, worrying, worrying decision when defending that would haunt the Blanco later on in the match. On this occasion, it was Christian Benteke who was able to waltz into the box. And he tried a little croqueta to beat a trio of Arsenal defenders, but he was sandwiched delightfully so by one Thomas Party and Gabriel Magalish. There was no soup for you, Benteke. And a short while later, a bit of a talking point in just the 22nd minute as Bukayo Saka found ESR the Smith. It was good work from Saka to win possession, aided by Kirantini. When Saka won the ball, he played it to ESR 10 meters or so from the top of the D. The young England international had an opportunity to slip, slip, slip in Pepe. He did not choose to do so, but rather take on an effort from what was probably 25 yards. This is a decision that will be talked about and has been talked about in the Twitter sphere. It was a bit of a selfish move, and why? Mr. ESR chose to take the shot on himself rather than play in Pepe, I do not know. Football's a game of decisions, and in this occasion, the decision was not correct from ESR. The price is wrong, bitch. And in the 28th, it was more from the big man, Mr. Benteke, as he was allowed to turn on top of Arsenal's box. But this time it was Gabriel Magalich who allowed time and space 
and allowed Benteke to get facing forward on Aaron Ramsdale. Benteke took an effort with his left foot that was tame, and Ramsdale collected. However, it was another poor defensive action from the dirty half-dozen for Arsenal. Very, very odd and disappointing. As the game progressed, Arsenal dropped deeper and deeper, inexplicably so. We will talk more about that as we proceed. But, in the 42nd, one of the biggest flashpoints of the match. As Crystal Palace's James MacArthur lined Bukayo Saka up and kicked straight through the young Englishman on the top of Arsenal's defensive box. It was a perplexing decision that Mike Dean made not to review what was, in all good conscience, a clear red card. I will say two things about this decision. VAR, what the hell is it good for? And Mike Dean, boy, you are a bald-headed pencil neck. Listen, folks, there is no doubt that MacArthur should have been sent off. He took aim, lightened up, and cleaned Saka out. Of this, there is no discussion. It was a red card offense for any other team that you're playing against not called Arsenal. This is the bias we live with as fans of the Gunners. And while that decision would have done a great deal to alter... The final conclusion of the match, the end result, the end product, playing with 10 men for more than a half of football would have been a challenge for Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace. Yes, Arsenal were screwed again by a refereeing decision. But, but, the fact that we are relying on such fine margins and the decisions of referees says Quite a bit. I'm looking through you. Where did you go? I thought I knew you. What did I know? You don't look different, but you have changed. I'm looking through you. You're not the same. There was one final effort from a corner from Conor Gallagher. Tested Aaron Ramsdale, but that was all there was to speak of. This was a first half that defied all logic. Playing at home, Arsenal got their early goal, the nerves were put to rest. But rather than push on, it was a home side that chose to retreat, retreat. Retreat. Defend deeper and deeper. Bizarrely so. It was a scared, scared decision by the players and, more importantly, by the manager. And as the first half came to its conclusion, it all felt a bit off. <laughs> Thank you. 
several key takeaways from the first 45. Number one. Arsenal's decision to sit off Crystal Palace after scoring the goal was cowardly and a gun-shy decision. Playing at home against Crystal Palace. Coward, coward, cowardly. And after the match, Arteta said this. Quote, unquote, we started to defend something after scoring the goal, and that's what I don't really like. We started to play not forwards, and we kept the ball in the wrong areas and put ourselves in trouble. That's the period I didn't like. End quote. The period, question mark. The period, question mark. We were in the eighth minute of the match when Arsenal scored. So that begs the question, whose job is it to change the way we are playing? For a manager that is often seen joysticking every movement and action of his players... Arteta's failure on the day to make an in-game tactical change to the way his team played was both alarming and a damning indictment of his qualifications to coach this team. Number two. <laughs> oh, Nico Pepe. Let me take a minute to discuss Nico Pepe's performance. While it is true that Nico Pepe lost possession 22 times in this match, 22 times, his importance to this team was never more clear. Arsenal do not score in the 8th minute if not for Pepe. It was a great curling effort that forced Vincent Guaita into a fantastic save. And kudos to Obama Yang for being alive in the box. But folks, this was all Pepe. His unpredictability and 1v1 ability makes a true difference for Arsenal. But on the Twitter sphere, and even Mr. Club Legend Ian Wright. We're quick to scapegoat Nico Pepe. And folks, I do not get it. I do not understand it. And as an example, here is one thing a casual fan will not pick up on. Nico Pepe never, not once, zero times, enjoyed an overload in the attacking third. Not once. There was never a moment in this match... When Nico Pepe was on the ball and enjoyed a numerical advantage of teammates around him. Never happened. The conservative approach of Mikel Arteta means that Nico Pepe hardly ever has teammates to combine with. And the astute Mr. Patrick Vieira knew this and instructed his players to defend in numbers in the wide channels. The one time, the one time, 
or one of the very few times that Tomiyasu did get forward. He played a neat one-two with Pepe, a brilliant wall pass, build that wall. And folks, well, that is where the goal came from. Don't understand the hate on Nico Pepe. Number three. Patrick Vieira. The man, the myth, the legend. It truly was a joyous occasion to see Patrick Vieira coaching at the Emirates. Yes, of course, some of it is down to nostalgia. But it has to be said, there was a vibe coming off Vieira. If you know, you know. And something about seeing him on the touchline, well, it just felt right. He was in full control of his team, aware of their strengths and their weaknesses, their potential, their upside. And so too, had he transmitted some of his footballing ideas to them, in a short amount of time. Listen, Palace looked more comfortable in this game in many regards. And given they were playing away from home with what is a far inferior starting 11, this was not a good look for Mikel Arteta. And folks, it says a whole lot about Patrick Vieira. The second half began with a Thomas Party long-range effort that was wayward. And just a few moments later, in the 49th minute, my octopus teacher, well folks, he turned blindly into pressure and was stripped of possession. Hooah! 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 It was not a good moment for my teacher. One of our favorite current Arsenal players, yes. Party turned blindly. There was, however, calls for a foul. Did he get stamped on? Well, I'm not buying it. Folks, it was a mistake by Thomas Party. That was capitalized and punished. Does 1-1 Palace. And folks... The Benteke finish to Ramsdale's lower left was quality, and there is no doubt that Palace deserved to be level. It was a mistake by party. When it happens, you must own it. And, after all, my teacher, the octopus, he is a man of accountability. He will own it. The back four for Arsenal began to look more shaky, allowing the Palace attackers more and more space. And in the 56th minute, Ramsdale was forced into a save from Mr. Ayu, number nine, Jordan Ayu. Straight down Broadway, he tested Ramsdale. Mr. Vieira gave two claps of the hands to applaud the effort. But it was looking, folks, like... Vieira had Arteta's number. It's a watching number, man. I'll dance it. It's a watching number, man. 
But in the 72nd minute, there was a response from Arteta's men. As Ben White combined with Sambi Lokonga, who found Aubama Yang, who was fortunate enough to play in Alexander Lacassette. Yes, Lacassette had been subbed on in the 67th for the ineffectual Martin Udigard. Obama Yang played him in neatly, and there is no doubt that there was some sense of luck and opportunism from the touch. But needless to say, Lacazette found himself with time and space just inside the 18, with the freedom to unleash a curling effort to the left of Guaita. But as is so often the case with Lacazette, he panics in front of goal and does not convert. Let the revisionists have their way. We will talk about that in a few moments. However, it was a golden opportunity for Lacazette to make the game 2-1 and restore honor to the home side. But, as is so stereotypical of the Frenchman who lives in his own head... He could not convert. And then a short while later, things would get worse for Arsenal. As Mr. Sampila Conga, who we have discussed is the heir apparent to Thomas Party, followed in his mentor's footsteps and made a casual, unfortunate blunder. Sambi, 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 oh my Sambi. In the 73rd, he was caught in possession. And the ensuing counter-attack was a 3v3 against Arsenal. Mr. Edward. Oh, Mr. Scissorhands. Edward found the ball on top of the box. Defended by Benny Blanco, the £50 million man. Mr. Blanco, Mr. Ben White, backed off, backed off, backed off, gave more space, more time. And he allowed Edward to progress into the box. And folks, Edward needed no second asking. After pushing Ben White embarrassingly back into his own box... He unleashed a thunderbolt that crashed in off the underside of the crossbar, giving Ramsdale no chance. It was deservedly 2-1 Palace, with Ben White covering himself in sadness. And Ramsdale punching at the air, giving no chance. It was shambolic from Arsenal and... Not very surprising. In the 87th, there was another big, big talking point of this one. It was a chance created for Arsenal. And guess who was at the heart of it? Nico Pepe. He played in a low-driven cross that Alexander Lacazette would flick on. Waiting on the back post was one sleeveless Kieran Tierney. Kieran's first touch 
was well manipulated and true as he killed the ball. Delightfully so for his left peg. The Scot leaned back ever so slightly and unleashed what was a very powerful driven shot. But it crashed off the crossbar and nothing came of it. Could he have done better? Well, it's hard to say, but he was leaning back. And a few minutes later, the energetic Frenchman, Lacazette, would do more good work, creating an opportunity for himself. Yes, Lacazette did well on top of the box to play a ball to himself towards the corner flag. He peeked two Palace defenders cutting inside the box onto his left foot, but blazed horribly over the crossbar. It was a bad decision. This was a game of bad decisions from the players and the manager alike. It was looking like it would be 2-1 Palace with all three points going to Vieira and the away side. But there would be a last gasp, corner kick for Arsenal in what was the final minute of play. This was the final action of the game, folks. Taking the corner was none other than Nico Pepe. He played a ball into the near post that was cleared. But he quickly found the second ball and returned it back into the box for a bit of head tennis. When the rebound eventually dropped, it was to the shiny, 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 shiny Mr. Clean, bald head of the bearded Lacassette. And with his right foot, from about eight yards out, Lacazette could not miss as he rifled home the equalizer for the Gunners. Let me say this. With all the talk of celebrating or not celebrating here at American Arsenology, we will always celebrate Arsenal goals, especially last gasp equalizers. However, it was an interesting contrast to see manager Mikel Arteta double fist pump the air by earning one point. And the classy Patrick Vieira patting the carpet. Frustratingly so, had the prospect of dropping two points. Interesting, interesting, interesante. Por el camino del desierto, el viento me despeina, suelo aroma de colita, no nada, nada de la As always, there were big, big, big Mac Wapa takeaways. Number one, Alexander Lacassette. The Frenchman came on late, as he did against Brighton, and looked very sharp. Against Palace, he scored a crucial equalizer with what was essentially the last kick of the ball. And as has been previously alluded to here at American Arsenology, 
we celebrated said equalizer with joy and passion. We will always want this club to be successful. And while the performance was god-awful, one point is far better than none. However, the Alexander Lacassette revisionism that is occurring this week in our bipolar fan base is deeply out of touch with reality. Lacassette has never been good enough for Arsenal. And we shall never leave the quagmire of mid-table if we rely on a striker who has only managed 14 goals in his best Premier League season. Not good enough. Keep in mind that Alexander Lacassette, well folks, he is playing for a new contract, but not at Arsenal, somewhere else. There are no indications that he is part of the future of this club. And folks, if he is, well, we are in more trouble than I imagined. Number two. Mikel Arteta's Arsenal had a golden, golden opportunity to climb the table this week. Wins against Crystal Palace and Aston Villa, respectively, would have catapulted Arsenal into the top four, the top four. True redemption for a manager who started the season 0-3. And yet, the Arsenal we saw on Monday night, they were scared to push on and kill the game after going ahead 1-0. At home! In the eighth minute against Crystal Palace. A team, by the way, who have only one victory from eight matches this season. Not good enough. The lack of desire, commitment, and preparedness to meet this moment. Well, folks, it was truly disappointing. And... While some of the blame must surely be shouldered by the players, Mikel Arteta has no excuses at this stage in his tenure. Thirdly, once again, there was no rhythm, no ingenuity behind Arsenal's play the attacking third. I have warned you about this, folks. Time and time again. This season you have been warned on this podcast. And given the players at his disposal and the length of time he has been at the helm, it is fair to say that Mikel Arteta has not articulated a clear Attacking strategy for Arsenal. There are no clever patterns or well-designed concepts for breaking down the opposition. There is nothing there. It's a big, fat, nothing burger. There hasn't ever been, really, 
Let us be honest. There are none and have been very few. Signs of this team getting better or more cohesive going forward. Mikel Arteta looks a bit lost in this regard. He cannot coach effective attacking football. And being so lost, well, it is becoming harder and harder to ignore as other top flight clubs see new managers come in and implement a defined strategy and in far less time. Something is not right with the situation at Arsenal. Something is rotten in London Colony. And finally, well, to all our listeners, to Tom, to Jay, to Silent Dave, this was a performance that has pushed us over the edge. While we have questioned Arteta's man-management team selections and his exquisitely styled Lego hair over the weeks and months that have come to pass, we have never used the two dreaded words. Those two, two dreaded words. Arteta out. Well, folks... We have arrived at the conclusion that Mikel Arteta is no longer the man to lead Arsenal Football Club forward. There are a myriad of reasons why we have landed in this territory. But the biggest and most important reason is that this job is too big for Mikel Arteta. He is... Not ready. He hath not cultivated or worked at developing the ideas that are necessary to be successful at this level of football. Listen, he may well become a great manager. But first he must do the work. A crucial part of the process that his unique mentorship and past playing history with the club helped him bypass. Here at AA, we shall refrain from nastiness. We shall refrain. But, if we are once again to become a serious club, it is time for Arteta to go. It's nothing personal, Tom. But live, after all, is life. Na, na, na.